to the choir master according to the Giddith, a psalm of the songs of, Kor of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul long, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house and ever sing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart is, uh, are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength, each one appearing before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, and look at the face of your anointed. For a day in your course is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than a dwell in the tents of the wicked, or tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is God's word. Today we're going to work from the top of the psalm to the bottom of the psalm, and then we're going to work our way back from the bottom of the psalm to the top of the psalm. Um, and as we do that, I want you to think, uh, and uh, this is an opportunity for you to chime in. Uh, when you were a kid, uh, and there's one person who's still a kid on here, that's my kid. Uh, when you were a kid, uh, what song did you always hope would come on the radio? Uh, when you turned it on? Was there one that you always hoped would be on and you would actually get to hear the whole thing, not just the middle or the end of it? So I, I throw that at you guys. Is it, What song was that? Bohemian Rhapsody says Jesse. I agree. That's a good one. It can be any song. Please don't be offended. Don't think that, that if you don't say a Christian song, not going to be a big deal, but go ahead. What song would have had been on the radio for you guys? Yeah, come on, my song. Dareway to heaven. Dareway to heaven, outstanding. Anything by Death Leopard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Armageddon, it right on. Oh yeah. Anything by Carly Simon. Really? Yeah, that's my girl. So vain. <laughs> Sorry, you probably think this song is about you. <laughs> Sorry, that's terrible. I mine was always "Jump" by Van Halen. Yeah, hey. I man, it was rare. I used to sit with my tape deck and like turn the radio on and and hope that there would be uh, that song would come on the radio and I could just press the button and record that so I wouldn't have to worry about it. Yes, a tape deck. Yes. What else? Anybody else have a favorite song that would come on? Hotel California. Yes. Yes. David is a man of culture. <laughs> uh, but if we notice that songs, uh, no matter how old we are or what generation we're from, we all appeal to a particular song that just strikes an emotional uh, tone in us that just either gets uh, uh, our, you know, virtual hair to stand on end because we're so excited that this song's on something you can blast. Um, uh, I know that I know it's going to seem weird, but uh, uh, is it 
the Tupac song about California, uh, California loving. I can't think of the name of the song, but uh, California love. Yeah, when that would come on, oh, you were just like crank, and it's just, it's just something about a song, a good one. It just, uh, it strikes that tone in us, and we just feel it. We get all the feels from those songs. Well, when the psalmists are writing these songs, a lot of the time when we look at a psalm in the Bible, we look at it from a sort of an analytical or, or sort of a cold, you know, institutional way of looking at it. But to the songwriter, he's expressing emotion. He's expressing this feeling. He's got all the feels when it comes to the, the song itself. If we could hear it with the music behind it, we could maybe get a sense of what he was going for. The psalm that we read this morning is written with emotion baked into it. It is not just something that we look at and go, well, that's nice. It's a nice poem to put on the fridge, but it is something that is meant to evoke emotional response. Something I noticed in it this morning is that the psalms, like I said, are meant to elicit emotion. They are songs of great feeling. We notice that this author here uses all these great words to express emotion. Look at it. How lovely. How lovely. I mean, that's not saying, oh, that's just plain. He's talking about, oh my gosh, there's this sense of beauty and wonder. There's this sense of like, wow, how lovely. How my soul longs. He says, yes, even faints. It reminds me of Elvis, those old Elvis uh, uh, films where he'd get on the stage and they cut to the, the ladies in the audience and they're just fainting all over themselves. They're screaming and they're just like, oh, they're falling out all over the place. This is the idea is that he's like, oh my gosh, my soul longs. I'm just, I'm at the, I'm at so excited. My, my whole body's about to, to fall on down. My knees are buckling. Oh, he says my heart and my soul, my flesh, my, my inward person that makes me, me and my outward person that makes me, me, they sing for joy. The Psalms are not dry. This Psalm is dripping with emotion and, and just this worshipful response to God. It's clear that the writer feels some sort of way about God and his dwelling place. It just results in this res emotional response to God. See, I remember uh, I've, as a believer, I've gone every which way but loose when it comes to church memberships. I started out as a Catholic, and then later, when I got saved, I moved all the way over to the Holy Roller Pentecostals. And then let me tell you, the first time I was in a Pentecostal service, I was struck by the amount of emotion. I was struck by the amount of, of just people, hands in the air and crying and weeping and laughing. And it was just, it was a little odd for someone growing up in a very quiet and very reserved uh, and somewhat reverent uh, church service. Maybe you've had that experience as well, but I remember that. And then when I read the Psalms, though, I get that same feeling that God himself uh, is eliciting this emotional response. Something else I noticed is that the writer is focusing on the dwelling place of God. In the, in the time that this was written, he would have been uh, thinking about the temple, the actual physical structure that Solomon built. You see, it's important to recognize that God himself has always created or provided a physical place in which heaven and earth intersect, a crossroads between where God is and where man is. It's a thin place between the realm of God and the habitation of humanity. 
And uh, if we look back in Genesis, we see that God creates this ability for uh, man and, and God to uh, commune with one another in the garden. And then we have, like I read this morning, where Jacob's ladder, where he has this vision of the angels coming, descending and ascending into heaven and God standing at the top of, of the stairs saying, this is, uh, I am God. And that, that Jacob was there in the dwelling place of God. And then we had the tent of meeting during the Exodus where the Israelites carried around their church. We did that for like, what, six years or, or longer. And then there's Solomon's temple, as we're talking about this morning. But we always find that, that God himself is placing himself in a position, in a place for man to interact with him. And as we fast forward into the time of Christ, we find that Jesus himself calls himself the temple of God, the ultimate meeting point of divinity and humanity. And after Christ has uh, died and rose again and is ascended into heaven, he sends his Holy Spirit. And now you and I are called temples of the living God. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. You see, location, physicality matters less uh, than the personal and corporate dwelling place of God, which is his church. And lastly, I noticed that the writer here declares that there are no cheap seats in the temple of God. Wherever God is, everyone there can experience him equally. If you've ever been to a concert and not paid attention to where your ticket said you were going to sit, inevitably you're going to be one of those times you're going to sit right either behind the artist or you're going to sit in that blind spot where he, he or she or the band cannot see you or you'll be right in front of the speaker tower and you won't hear for a year after that. I've been in all. I've been in the cheap seats. I've been in the front row seats. But with God, there are no cheap seats. I love how the writer says, even sparrows and swallows and tiny birds can find their place in a home with God in at his altar. Even the, the, the least of the birds of the, uh, of the fields can find a home in God's presence. There are no cheap seats. The writer even goes on to say that he would rather be a janitor in God's house than to be the master of a sinful hotel. All in God's presence get the full experience, the full show. There are no bad sight lines. But what is God saying to you and I in this psalm as we've read it this morning? I think more than anything, God is trying to express or that the writer is expressing to us that God himself is the place to be. I think it's important to notice here that God, while he does put himself in a, a tent of meeting or in a temple or in the person of Christ or even in us as, uh, as carriers of the Holy Spirit, his presence itself is not confined to a space, uh, a building, a country or a universe. And it really has never been. See, God has always made his, his presence known to us in history and places and times, but he's never been subject to them. He's not confined by them. He's not restricted by them. But that being said, God himself comes to his creation. Uh, he comes to communities of people who follow him, and especially in Christ. See, even Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in your midst. See, God can be found wherever God says he can be found. He can be found in Christ. He can be found in creation. He can be found in the community of the believers. But I think it's also important to note that, that God is communicating to us that he is the place to be. 
And now that God is, uh, has, God's generated and initiated relationship with us through Christ uh, is better than the benefits of his own presence. I want to look at the passage this morning. I notice here that the, the writer's like, I get all these great things from being in the presence of God, joy and peace and love. Uh, I get to be in his presence where I get to hear his great wisdom, uh, where he's the sun and the shield, uh, where he's bestowing favor and hope. These are all great. But they are not greater than God himself. I love what Tim Keller, the pastor in New York, says. If we look to, if we look to uh, create things that give us meaning or hope or happiness outside of God himself, those things will eventually break our heart. And if we love the things of God more than God himself, then we are becoming idolaters. We are becoming those who worship the created more than the creator. The creator. See, God himself is greater than the things that, he are, that we get as a benefit from being in his presence. Here's a case in point. My wife and I just celebrated our 26th wedding anniversary um, a couple days ago. We've been married for a very long time, and in that, that time, I've come to know this great truth. That outside of all of the great things that it is to be married to my wife, Jed, the most important thing in my marriage to my wife is my wife. Just being with her in relationship and enjoying her presence, enjoying her personality, and all of the things that go along with that. She is more important than all the benefits of marriage. And in the same way, God himself is telling us that he is more important than all of the benefits we get from a relationship with him. God is the ultimate goal. God is the ultimate benefit. Thirdly, God's benefits that come as a grace given by him for those in relationship with him through Christ elicit an appropriate response. What I notice here is that because this person in this who wrote this psalm is telling us uh, all about the place of God and the presence of God and what it does for him, what it does is it, it, it enables him to have right responses to God. It gives him a desire to abide in God, to dwell where God dwells, to be where God is, and to go to great lengths to encounter God in all dimensions of life. This is not just about a Sunday morning. It is not just about that. But it is this idea that God, wherever God is, I have got to be. He says his, whether I'm a doorkeeper in the house of God, whether I'm on the way to where God is, I can travel over the dry lands and the wetlands. I can go to great lengths in order to be where God is. There's this great desire because of what God has done for us in Christ to want to make room for him in every possible way. God creates in us this desire to trust him with all of our most pressing needs and desires. The psalmist says here that, uh, God, hear my prayer, give ear, be my shield. Do for me what I cannot do for myself because I love you and I want to be where you are. And where you are, you will not withhold any good thing. And he also gives us a desire to love or a desire to love, to be in step with God's ways, to follow him closely. It becomes this desire to have a rightly ordered life because that is the blessed life. So what's our response? How, how should we take this idea that God is telling us that he is the place to be? If God is the place to be, then what is our response? 
Well, here's what I would tell you. Our response to this psalm this morning is to make God the place to be, to make him the joy of our life uh, as his child and as a part of his community. First and foremost, here's what I would say. My challenge to you is to make God your trust. It says here at the very end, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Part of making God the place to be is to place our ultimate trust and confidence in the one who created you. It is to place ourselves in the right position to say, God, I trust you in all dimensions of my life. It basically says, blessed is the person who trusts God in every aspect. From worship in the community, in a church setting like this, or in uh, uh, at our jobs, in our cars, with our kids, in financial hardships, in financial blessings, in employment and non-employment, in physical, spiritual, and emotional realms, with our whole person, Blessed is the person who trusts in their God. And to hold firm to the promises that God will provide for all of us, uh, for all of our honor, for all of our favor, and for all good things. It says here, for there is no good thing that God withholds from those who trust him. And abide in him. Make God your trust. Place yourself in his presence and stay there. Secondly, not only will we make God our trust, but we also will uh, trust him when turmoil comes. We go back up to uh, verse 5, verse 5, 6, and 7. It says, as they go through the valley of tears, Baca is a, is a place uh, of extreme dryness. And, and these trees there that basically their sap was kind of like weeping. It was like tears. We're going to go through turmoil. A person who trusts in God is not someone who is immune from the struggles of life. What God wants, he wants us to do to respond to his love for us is to hold firm and direct our concerns to God because he cares for us. And God will take us and take those turmoil moments and he will turn them into pools of blessing. He will turn them into places of refreshment, even in the storms of this life. The third. Not only we make our God our trust and then we entrust him with all of our concerns and cares that we will learn to abide in his presence. We ought to turn our lives in such a way that we can begin to relate to the writer of this psalm whose, whose emotional response to God's presence allow, just reforms and remakes his entire being. Let the joy of, of being God's and his being yours become the source of ultimate gladness and strength in this life. And we can do that through prayer and silence and solitude and worship and meditation on his word. We can do that through being with godly men and women who speak life into us and who encourage us along the way, who pray for one another, who provide for our needs when things get rough. Through obedience by responding to God's goodness, by keeping his commands. So if God is supposed to be the place of our lives, be the ultimate, be the one that we, we go to, that it, it, he himself is the place to be, and we're to respond to him in the ways that we mentioned this morning, of trusting him and holding firm to his promises and, and giving him our concerns and abiding in his presence, then your mission, should you choose to accept it this week, as I encourage you to take this psalm and pray it each day this week, Monday through Monday through Saturday, take a few minutes each morning 
So calm your mind. Remind yourself that God is God and you are not. Silence your, the inner turmoil in your mind and your hearts. And then dive into the psalm. And allow the words of the songwriter to, to envelop you with God's joy. And maybe you'll experience the words and experience the same feelings he has towards God. Spend a few minutes each day mulling over these words and let God speak to you. Ask God to give you the emotions and the joyful response and the gladness associated with knowing him and allow him to reform your heart. That is, uh, that is my prayer for you.